Welcome back to NALP's Young Professionals Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Your hosts of today's episode include myself, Neil Glatt from Grow the Bench, Luke Milagrano of Mariani Landscape, and Brett Lamke of RM Landscape. How's everyone doing today? Doing good. Doing well, Neil. How are you? Very, very well. Always excited to be back. Um, Today, our guest is Cole Weller. Cole, with his brother Brent, co-founded Weller Brothers in 2001. He attended Southeast Technical Institute in Sioux Falls, where he studied landscape design. His passion for creating beautiful backyards has sent Weller Brothers apart from the competition in the design and construction of the most stunning backyards in the region. He leads the design and sales team, as well as the office staff, with passion and enthusiasm. Cole and his wife Carrie have two daughters, Rosalind and Eloise. His hobbies are golfing, hunting, skiing, and spending time at the lake. Anything I missed, Cole? Uh, you know, I covered, oh, wait, one small thing. I added a kid in there. <laughs> That's a real, oh, that one. Real, real quick. Your website needs updating then. <laughs> That's where just, we pulled your bio from. Just a small miss there. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Well, Cole, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're excited to have you join us and talk about a few different things. Um, yeah. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, Weller Brothers Landscaping for those of us who don't know. Uh, so, you know, you said some of it there in the introduction. We started in 2001. We started like many uh, individuals in the landscape industry, I guess. We started cutting grass. That was back in high school. And then I just tell people we're the just the kids that never quit. We continued to grow and, and uh, uh more accounts and then I went off to school at Southeast. I actually did, you know, honestly, I did a little tour before that. So I hopped around, went to University of St. Thomas, St. Paul, Minnesota, and then Montana State out in Bozeman where I skied and kind of went to school uh, and then moved back to Sioux Falls where I uh, studied landscape design at Southeast Technical Institute, a two year program there. And all the while we had that kind of business running in the background and then and I went at it full time after that with my brother, you know, who also did a short stint in college. And here we are today. We kept growing. We kept adding services, you know, over the years. Um, we went from just cutting grass to, to moving snow to adding fertilizer and, uh, um, you know, just different ancillary services, lawn aeration, things like that. And then I think probably 2007 or eight, we started doing landscape uh, design and build. And today we do both. We do landscape design and build in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We had us our main office as well as maintenance. And then we just in the beginning of 2019 opened a branch in Rochester, Minnesota, which is about a three and a half hours drive from Sioux Falls uh, across the border into Minnesota. And my brother Brent and business partner uh, moved there with one of our uh, main landscape construction guys to start the branch there. And so we're on year two in Rochester, Minnesota, and we're picking up steam and getting some traction, getting a little name recognition in the market. So we're having fun. That's awesome. I, I always found uh, expansion and growth to be one of the most fun things in business, uh, whether it's a new branch or new services. Um, it's exciting to see who rises up to the challenge and, uh, you know, the different things you can start to accomplish when you really 
push yourself outside of your comfort zone with stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously you have a family business and, and did I read correctly that your parents were involved in the business uh, back when it started up? Yeah, they, you know, it's funny. I read that and I said, I don't know if I can necessarily have them change that because Brent and I started the business, but they were, uh, my dad was kind of the financier by way of a John Deere riding tractor in a little aluminum trailer that he, that he, that he owned to, <laughs> to take back and forth from our house in Brandon, South Dakota and our farm in central Minnesota uh, to cut the grass at the home site and the farm. So that's how we started. So I probably can't totally rule him out. He probably wasn't as much of a stickler as some of the banks are now, but he, uh, you know, we eventually ended up getting him paid off. And so uh, he was involved in that, in that part of the business and he helped us out. They helped us actually, you know, when we were in school, when we kind of started getting a little more work than we could probably handle, they were out there cutting grass for us, helping us out. And then actually my mom uh, worked here actually somewhat recently. She worked in our office for uh, maybe two years or so. Probably, she might have been done uh, a year ago, maybe or so. Until I think she kind of worked until uh, she had enough grandkids to fill up her time, and now she has enough grandkids, so uh, she no longer works in the office, but uh, still helps out with some odds and ends tasks once in a while. So, uh, family is uh, they can be a real big blessing when uh, when it when you need them there and. Uh, and I, you know, I've I've come from the family business too, and uh, and we've I've got more family sometimes than you we think we need in the business, and then other times you're like, man, I'll take I'll take even more of of them coming in. So it's it's been uh, it's it's a lot of fun, but I had some challenges here and there too over time. Yeah, you. St- I mean, I th- I think I think having a business partner ever anyone is a challenge, uh, you know, and then you start layering in some some family stuff, which maybe isn't as big of a deal in the early days when it's you and you're kind of trying to drum up some beer drinking money, uh, just you and your brother, but then you start getting married and having kids and all of a sudden the kind of layers of complexity start to add up. So we're, uh, we've had, we, there's been a lot of challenges. I mean, I, luckily there haven't been any fist fights yet. So it <laughs> seems like the, the likelihood of that's probably going down with him moving to Rochester, Minnesota, but Distance, uh-huh. distance helps, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Never underestimate the productivity of a quick fist fight between yeah. <laughs> between professional <laughs> colleagues. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They, uh, so there's been, there's been some challenges. Uh, it's I, I think it's rewarding. I think probably when when Brett mentioned, you know, sometimes we feel like we can't have enough family in the business, or you know, would we take more family? I think those the the pros, you know, the rewarding parts are the pros. Uh, of that are as you know most certainly and probably the most uh, significant for me is the trust right the trust that you have in a in a business partner i think that um, when it comes to making important decisions I, I just know that you know him moving to so i on the i serve as the ceo and brent was ceo and then moved to minnesota and we kind of made a hybrid position for him called the minnesota operations manager but i i i find um I find comfort in knowing that, you know, nine and a half times out of 10, when it comes to important decisions that there, he's going to make, he's going to make the same decision that I would make. So, and I think that's, that's rare and important in a partnership. So, um, so when, when the, when the rare occasion there is that we have differing opinions, we have a team around us that helps us kind of arrive at the right conclusion, it seems like. So, but we, we do have, 
most of the same hunches most of the time when it comes to decisions. You know, it's, it's an interesting conversation to me because it's, it's occurring to me that there's issues with business as partnerships and there's issues with, with family business. But um, I think that some of them are, we confuse the two, right? People say, oh, family business is so tough, but really partner business is so tough. But at the same time, um, you know, I have a business partner in my business and I would never want to go it alone because I know I'd be just absolutely handicapping my ability to have success. Um, so it's, it's tougher work, but it's exponentially more successful work with a partner. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I don't, I don't think, <laughs> at least in my experience, I haven't talked to that many, and not just in the landscape business, but any industry really, that many individuals in a partnership that say, you know, we've, we've never had our conflicts or it's, you know, it's all warm and fuzzy. It's all easy. I just, that's not been my experience in talking to people. Yeah. So. Do you find that you and your brother kind of have natural talents that are different from each other where you sort of have a division of work or, or you defer to him on certain things and he tends to defer to you on certain issues? Yeah. I th- good question. I think I, with, without a doubt, uh, there are, we definitely both have our skill sets. I, th- I think, you know, kind of tying that back to challenges is one of the things that is, is hard to talk about. And, um, we've gone through the full process now with, uh, you know, we used an outside, um, uh, advisory firm that helped us work through like compensation, things like that. Just what are you doing? So yeah, you own half of the company, but what are you doing, uh, day to day in the company, right? Because it doesn't, it, it doesn't happen often that you have two business owners and they over time are, adding the exact same value or serving the exact same purpose in the organization. And so for us, it was very, probably that, that actually probably was the most, the hardest thing that we've had to do since, and I've had to do since we started the business together. Uh, but working through all those things, that's part of it. You just, you, we had, we had a family business uh, consultant help us and accounting, the accounting firm help us with comp study, things like that. You just got to use your resources and, and have, uh, get insight and opinions from other people that have dealt with that a lot. Um, and, uh, and it all worked out. It works out great. And we came to an agreement, but I think that is probably over time, especially as the business grows and it's not just beer drinking money anymore. Uh, those are significant challenges and that conversation could be very uncomfortable. Frankly, it was for me, I'll be honest with you. Uh, but I ripped the bandaid off and we had the conversation. And again, it's, it's a little bit easier when you're using an outside firm. Uh, it's got expertise in that, but. Uh, well, I would, uh, the facilitation to, to be able to bust through and, and see things in that, that third party context is, is, is helpful. And I sort of, com- I commend you certainly for, for dealing with these pieces. Uh, I mean, how, how early into the business or at what point in the business did you have it? And was that the appropriate time or did you find that even, the day that you figured out this is the career or the business, was that the time to have that conversation? I think that that's sound advice because your path is many of the same paths, right? Go through school, find that, that, that side money, 
oh, this is fun. This is good. Who can help me through this? And be it, be it a family member or be it just a, a friend or a business partner, you know, they're all going to have to struggle with these, these sort of conversations. Yeah. And, uh, so to answer the good question, to answer the question, don't do what I did. I mean, I waited too long. Huge mistake. I can't give that advice to anyone. Disclaimer has been sent. All right. So disclaimer's <laughs> out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, way earlier than I did. I think it's a conversation that needs to happen right away. How you're going to, I mean, as soon as maybe, maybe, maybe not, maybe not day one, but maybe after you've crossed that threshold of the three to five years or whatever they say, where you, at that point you probably have a pretty good idea you're going to be in business if you, if you've, made it past that kind of invisible line that they talk about with small business, you know, you probably are at a place where, well, hopefully you're at a place where you grew the company that you know, it's what you're going to be doing for a while with that partner family or not family. Um, I think that's the time to at least start the conversation. Now, I don't think you need to, I don't think you need to spend all your days thinking about it, but I, I think it's important to talk about that stuff early because what can happen is those, those issues just compound over time and look, it's, it's many times, it's not the same as you, as you grow a business and you have, you go from one employee to 10 employees to hundred employees. I, you, the, the things can get so out of, out of hand by the time you talk to them, it's just, it, 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 you know, we didn't let it get to a blow up, but that can happen. And I think uh, really, yeah, just um, the earlier, the earlier the better to at least get that conversation started. It's, it's just not that often, again, in my experience, that you talk to someone, two business partners, and they're providing the exact same value um, to the organization. I mean, there, there are a lot of companies out there where you have an ownership stake in the organization and you, you got one brother or one cousin that's, um, you know, running the HR department and you got another cousin that's that's sweeping the floor at night. Well, the fact of the matter is those, those two, you know, they, you've got to have compensation for each of those positions commensurate with the, you know, job description tied to each of those positions. So very, uh, I wish I would have done it sooner, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. I think what you find through that process is there's this whole world you don't know. Right. Um, when I, when we started uh, grow the bench, we basically just sort of drafted a one page agreement that kind of outlined what we thought was reasonable. And I sent it to a friend of mine who's a very experienced attorney just to take a look at. And he goes, dude, you're not even close. You need to, you need to have an ownership agreement and a management agreement. You need to talk about this and that. And before we even started the business, my partner and I had to sit down and think through stuff that may never happen. Right. But um, having gone through that process now, we know what's going to happen if one of us is in an accident and a family member tries to come after part of the business and, you know, we need to pay for you buy out that estate or how we're going to value. Like there's no, there's no foreseeable issue that could come up and it gives us so much freedom now, even though we're still not really ever operating and hope to never have to navigate any of those challenges. Right. Um, Let's face it. There are no, you know, although you you are you're you're saying, you know, all these things that you know will likely never happen or aren't going to happen to us. Look, there's no shortage of those stories out there, is there? I mean, things that come up with business and partners and families. I mean, there's you, you know, yeah. you hear that often. How do how is um, 
I guess, how do your employees react to you guys being a family business? Do you sense that it's different or do you think their experience is different working for a family business? You know, I think, good question. I think that it, I think that there are uh, a lot of pros. I think that there are a lot of people out there and not just, you know, not, not just landscape industry, but admin office staff, people, finance, um, people that really like working for a small family business. And especially we found we've had great luck with um, individuals that want to come work for a small family business, but one that's one that's growing to one that they can see themselves advancing their career in. So we've heard a number of times, mostly from, from our kind of management and admin level staff um, that I want to, I'll, I want to come to a place where I can see, uh, where you've demonstrated some growth. So there's some job security there, right? No one's really t- willing to take a huge flyer on an organization that maybe they don't think is going to be around in a couple of years. But the uh, um, saying, I, I, I would go so far as even be willing to say that I would take a pay cut if I could um, on a daily basis uh, see or feel the impact more directly that my position is making in the organization. I mean, that's how we, that's how our CFO, that's how we hired our CFO. We hired her as a controller years ago, but um, she, that's what she told me in the interview. I mean, she took a significant pay cut to, to come work for us, but she had been in other professional settings where she was just a number. She worked for Deloitte for a while. She worked for, I think, um, RSM for a while. So big accounting firms, but she was, but her shtick was that she wanted to, um, work in an organization that was small enough that she could still see the impact that her reporting was making on a day-to-day basis. And she found that here. So that was nice. And in fact, it was very similar for our HR gal, Anita. It was a kind of a very similar situation. So I, th- I think there are, I think there are good things that go along with being able to say you're a family business. Yeah. I think, you know, I've, I work for obviously a family business, but I'm not a part of the family, so to speak. And uh, well, uh, but I think, you know, working for that family, it's, it's, it's rewarding. Like you said, you can see, you can see the top. You're not just another number within that organization. Um, And with us, I mean, we have so many families who actually come and work with us. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like we're all one big family at the end of the day. Uh, And, and it's, it's a rewarding, it's a rewarding job versus just, you know, going to work for some big, big time company that, you know, controls uh, all over the country and, you know, you're just, you're just another person on their payroll, so to speak. I I like the, uh, I like that point about um, multiple families and generations working at our organization has happened to us a a few times and still is here. And I think that's a testament to be surrounded by family is wonderful. I love that too, but then to have, our team members have their, you know, family members around them uh, is just exciting to see. And we've, I think we did one year, we did it, we're just raise your hand, you know, how you're related or connected to each other. And, uh, and, and that connection is, you know, a vast majority of our, our organization. And, uh, and so I, I it, it's a testament to what you're saying, Cole, is that people love what their the place they work and they're willing to come there and, and uh, and they're they're willing to refer them to family and friend, and that I think uh, shows a well-run organization. Yeah, I think I think it could be around family. It could 
you know, for organizations that aren't family businesses, it might be around something different, right? But I think it's great when you can relate to each other that way. And I think a lot of family businesses don't leverage that the best way. I think a lot of times there's fear of employees of nepotism or, you know, where's my career path going to go? Cause his kid's 16 now and who knows. Right. So I think if you can be more intentional about conversations, then more family businesses would avoid some of the stigma um, and have better experiences like the three you described with, with the businesses you're involved in. We haven't had to cross that the uh, nepotism bridge yet, but uh, certainly that's uh, you know it's, I mean all signs point to that's probably they, those are probably issues that will come up in the future. You know our kids are still real young. I mean I've got a, my oldest is six and Brent's oldest is four, so we've got a ways to go on that front. Although time flies when you're having fun, right? So never too early to start talking about those conversations and how you'll handle. And actually, a family business consultant that we've used in the past does just that. She handles out and lays out roadmaps for how how it is that you will in the future handle bringing family members into the business. So just getting a grasp on that early uh, yeah. is, is somewhat comforting. I'll say, you know, I grew up in my family business and I think I was that kid at one point when I was silly or stupid enough to say, you know, I'm going to be your boss someday. Right. And so here yeah, I am, so like 10, year, 12, you know, 16 years old and I'm on a crew Whoops. and I say that and, and I either, I'm not surprised I didn't get stuffed in the mud right then. Right. But I was surrounded by enough people that made me feel like a crew person rather than the boss's son. And I appreciate you know, their willingness to not be like fall for that. Right. And, and I grew out of that and, and I've probably apologized to a couple guys, but then there, and there's many of them that are still here. Right. So it's just, uh, it's yeah. nice to see that. And they are like, I remember you when, uh, and, uh <laughs> so, but yeah, like I'll, I'll tell my kids and when they come here, like you could work your hardest and just avoid saying those few, that famous line and you'll be okay. Yeah, we call that a coachable moment, Brett. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I got, I got coached. There's a few swear words in that coachable moment when I when I was that young, but they, they <laughs> I learned. You got the point across anyway, huh? <laughs> Cole, what point did you understand? So you started the business prior to the education part. Was was the business a catalyst to go back to school or as an interest, or how did that all develop? Yeah, it was. It was to go to go to school specifically for landscape uh, design. I, I always knew that I wanted to be my, you know, I, frankly, my parents would probably tell you, having raised me, that there was a very low likelihood that I would be working for anyone else because I'm just not, I'm not the best with authority, admittedly. I feel like I'm fairly self-aware and I, I, you know, I made that prediction early that I wanted to do my own thing and be my own boss. So uh, luckily that's all worked out. But yeah, I, it, it was, I mean, that was, I, I knew that I needed to get more experience um, in education with design and probably moreover with plant material at the time. Uh, now we've got a team of horticulturists and landscape designers, obviously know way more than I do about that stuff, but uh, that's how we got started. So that, that was really the driver. So in your, uh, over the course of your 20 years with being in business and, and, you know, going to school and stuff. Uh, you've been a member of NALP from pretty much the get go. Um, how's that helped your business out over, over the years and reaching milestones and helping to make important decisions, so on and so forth. Yeah. So in school, you know, we were student members in school and then ever since then we've been uh, involved in NALP, but I would say this, um, it didn't, 
it didn't really start having an impact on our business until we got more actively involved and we started attending the educational events and networking and meeting guys like you and all of the other um, uh, individuals that I've met through the association. Um, and that was probably only five or six years ago. And coincidentally, that was also when we kind of started our growth trajectory spike right at the same time because I thought, oh my gosh, I, you know, at that point I, I was hardly even aware that you could take a landscape company and do some of these things and grow it and have other locations and get to X, X million revenue target or X number of employees or X number of crews or I, it was just, it was almost foreign to me the idea that you could take a, a lawn mowing business from high school and, and do that, make that transformation and start that growth and so it just by way of meeting many of those people that have done it, I, um, I, 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 that in and of itself is probably worth a lifetime of membership to me. But we, we also were act, we were engaged and we attended the, the seminars and events. So I think that, I think that without really sinking your teeth into your membership, you'll probably I'll buy and you might think it's worth it or you might not think it's worth it. I, th I think you've got to, you've got to attend some of the. Uh, use some of the resources provided by NALP. So the, the value that we've got is just, um, I mean, as you, it's incalculable, if you could, if there's no way of knowing the, the value of that, I guess, over time. Well, was that, was that growth enabled by just seeing success modeled? Was it specific education you were going to? Was it a peer group or, or other connections you were part of? I, I think it was, Probably the individuals that I think it was, it, it may simply have been just knowing it was possible. And then there are some other things that tie into that, like how did you do it? Who did you hire? What was your org structure look like? Where, um, at what point did you hire this individual? Um, so that's, I just, I, I think I was so unaware that it could even happen, which is maybe at this point embarrassing to admit, but I guess I'm learning that late is better than never, I guess. So. I didn't know you could make money in landscaping, let alone have a successful business when I was growing up. So I think we've all been on that learning track at some point and I still have a lot to learn. You know, also, there, so. there was one other thing too, is that we started uh, having kids and getting married and like, you know, at some point you're kind of like, wow, I probably got to start, you know, making a life out of this <laughs> or just stop doing it. Completely. Stop worrying about beer money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I think it's, it, I agree. And I'll say what you said, Cole, again, just surround yourself uh, and either listening or participating, but just being in, in those circles of those that are enthusiastic about business and growth, those that have done it, those that are doing it just along with you. It's uh, it's amazing what you absorb and the value of that. And, and I you agree with like, the statement you made makes you reflect a little bit on how that happened. And I suppose I can't figure it all out, but it just did happen, right? We've had strong success with our business. And I relate a lot of that to NALP and the connections made there and you can't pinpoint it, but it just, it just started working. Right. And, uh, and so it's, it's, and then even this group, right. Just being on these conversations weekly to just keep that brain. Cause we're all, you know, we're all going to get off this and we're all going to deal with a job or a task and, uh, but to find a moment each week to just say, to think a little bigger and a little smarter and do that as often as possible. These business can actually do some pretty cool things. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And then I, th I think too, uh, with, with, you know, so that's how we kind of started 
the growth trajectory and, and the kind of streak that we're on right now. I think one thing that I'm learning that I, I probably learned partially from NALP, but then just by way of just experiencing what we're doing, you, there are different things at, uh, there are different things at different, like I'll call it employee count milestones that you need to do to continue the growth, right? So what you did to get from 10 employees to 20 employees might not be what you have to really focus on to get from 20 to 40 or 40 to 80, right? And I think that at a certain point, and one thing we started probably too late as well was just making sure that you have a good um, culture of full disclosure and, and excessive communication, which we're still working on right now. But at some point, like for us right now, the only thing standing in the way of our uh, future growth is just people. So what we've realized is that um, get the right people in place and the growth and the profits will follow. So we try to focus as much as we can on that rather than we need to sell this many quarter million dollar backyards to get to this place or this many $10,000 enhancements to get to this place. So thinking about it from a sales growth perspective, it's really not that for us anymore. It's, it's, if we just focus on the people and get the right people in place, all that extra stuff just happens. That's not what we, that's not what we particularly focus our energy on. Although we do track it and talk about it, of course. So what, uh, to today, what, if you look back, what roles would you say that you, when you added them really just sort of accelerated pieces, what were some of your, your big ones? Um, that's a really good question. So a number of them, I think financial controller was a pretty significant one. And we also have a, um, we also have a rockstar now CFO. So that really helped, but we have, um, we focus a lot of our time on, financial reporting and production reports. So we probably have, uh, we probably focus more resources on that by, by way of staff than of company our size normally would. But we just know that like we make our business decisions on the reporting and the financial information that they gather and compile for us on a, on a daily, weekly, and monthly, quarterly basis. So we, uh, that was probably a, a big one. You know, we restructured our whole org chart when Brent left for Rochester a couple of years ago two years ago, because of course that left the whole, actually, you know what, I'm going to say that we didn't do it when he left. We did it a year after he left. We kind of wrote it out for a year to see what the net impact was of his absence. And then we structured, so we actually just restructured at the beginning of 2020 now that I say that. Um, but we added a number of different positions. We, we added uh, an HR position. We added a um, production management positions. We add, oh yeah, you know what we added was, which what I thought was a pretty big overhead investment, but I think we're kind of getting the, um, we're getting the kind of flywheel turning on the, on the return from the investment as we added a couple training positions. So we took guys that we knew how to really effectively execute a landscape job or a maintenance um, route or whatever it was. And then we took those positions. We said, hey, although you're a good foreman, we're going to put you in a training position, right? So you can be called landscape training manager. And what you're going to do is work with all these other crews and you're going to help them work on their day-to-day -day, um, efficiencies on a job site. And so the idea is that if we can take, uh, well, you know, it's an X number of landscape crews operating at, at 
80 or 90% efficiency and boost them up to 100, you know, or 95 or 100% efficiency and, and, and alter the processes in between sales and production, make sure that the information is flowing smoothly, we'll get, those individuals will pay for themselves. And I, th I think we're not quite there yet, but I think we're getting there. So I think those were important positions. And the reason they're important is because what I just told you before that was the only thing standing in the way of our growth is people. And largely it's people that do the actual work for us. So we need to continue to, and, and for us in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, it's very difficult for just this um, 20 year tenured hardscape foreman that can execute complex high-end backyards to just fall in our lap one day. We know that that's just the likelihood of that happening is so low that um, to, to achieve the outcomes that we're trying to get at Weller Brothers, we need to, we need to train those people from within and, and motivate and elevate those from within to become that person rather than waiting for that person to fall in our lap by way of a job posting or an employment advertisement somewhere. So some interesting positions added. I don't know. Hey, are we doing it right or wrong? I have no idea. I, you know, it's <laughs> my best guess. <laughs> well, I think the question everybody wants to know, Cole, is how are you training those people, right? When somebody comes to you as a frontline, uh, you know, guy on a string trimmer, how do you turn them into a crew leader who's actually pulling good profitability for that crew? Uh, I, I mean, how are we doing it? We're doing it somewhat effectively right now. That's what I'd tell you. <laughs> uh, the training manager helps. Our, our foremen are in the past. So before training managers in each division maintenance and landscape, our, we expected our foremen to kind of facilitate that. Well, I think what we found over time is that foremen are, at least our foremen are okay trainers. If I guess if I, if I stereotyped them all into one group, lumped them into one category, they're probably okay trainers, but they're not great trainers. And to do what we're trying to do, we need somebody that's great at training. So all, almost all of our stuff is just on the job site. So we know that when we have a new hire start, we've got our training manager out there with them watching over him. We ask our form, our crew leader to format a report back to us, who needs, who on your crew needs help and what do they need help with? And then that's how we, um, that's how we know our areas of focus for our training manager. And so it's working pretty, it's working pretty well. They're both new positions for us, landscape and maintenance training manager. So we're learning stuff and we figured there'd be kind of a year, a year cycle of really getting completely effective, but on the job side training is the biggest, is the biggest part. Yeah. I think, you know, we kind of, we've kind of started doing the same thing. Uh, we created a, we call it a site supervisor position because we we found the same thing as you, Cole, where our crew leaders are great crew leaders and they can manage a job, but they're not always the best at training. It's just something they're not the greatest at. So we found crew leaders uh, who were very good at training and we created them and, and gave them a position called the site supervisor. Now they're working with three, four, maybe five crews on their own. And they're just bouncing around to those crews. And it's, you know, like you said, you work with the crew leader and figure out, okay, what's this guy's weaknesses? What are his strengths? And he's working side by side with them. And um, we've been doing this for two, three years now, I want to say. And I think this year we're really starting to see the, uh, the benefit of having that position finally paying off. Uh, you know, we're, we're, building up our bench strength really, really well right now. That's interesting that you say it's kind of year two or three or whatever it is for you. Cause we, we are, our, 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 our 
any NAR cycle, the time frame of the cycle that we, it was just a speculation. We don't, you know, it's a new position for us. We didn't know what the time frame is on return on that. And, and part of it is it's a, it's a little nerve wracking because this, this individual that you're taking and putting into that position, although you're, you're, you are getting some productive time out of that individual, he or she, you, you, you are, you're taking them off uh, what was, if, if they're, if they're, they're qualified to become a training manager or a site supervisor, you're likely taking someone off of a crew that was pretty highly productive and efficient. Exactly. We, I mean, we definitely had to climb over some mountains when, when we first did this and had clients calling and saying, oh, hey, what happened to, to my normal crew leader? And you got to have that conversation. Well, you know, they want to grow into a higher position eventually. They're good at what they do and they have to, you know, we can't just hold them back. Um, and you know, so we still get some comments about it and, and a complaint here, a complaint there that they miss their old crew leader or whatever. But, um, you know, like you said, you get, we're, we're trying to, to help and grow our people so that they can become, you know, we're not holding them back either and also help grow the company down the line. The, the only thing better than having that one good site supervisor running that rockstar crew is having five of them running five rockstar crews. Right. And, and that takes training. Yeah, exactly. I think some of those benefits too uh, is just when it becomes a cultural decision, top-down decision to be really intentional about training. And, and of course it's obvious to everybody in your company that you're serious about it because you made trainer a real position. Right. And so you've got this, this person in that role who presumably is good at and all about training and everybody around the company is saying, oh, wow, we're going to take this seriously because it's important to everybody. I think um, you're going to have immediate, uh, really great results compared to not having none of that, right? So just by virtue of, of making that investment in that position, I think you'll start to see those, those benefits. We're certainly hoping so. So I think, yeah, we might, we might be a little ways out on realizing the return on investment, although we're as a team committed to it. So we're, we're in it now. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, it, for us, it was, we started it two, three years ago, I want to say now, and, and it was slow to, to happen, but now, you know, we're in the third year of it and we've got more of these training people out on job sites and, and uh, working with our teams uh, you know, I think we have stronger people on our teams and, and I know the clients are seeing it too. I mean, we were, we've been talking about it as a team lately. I mean, I think this year we have had more compliments from our clients uh, than we've ever had before. I mean, they're, they come in daily and a lot of that is attributed to, we're putting, we're making that investment and, and letting uh, into a position that, isn't always, you know, top of top of mind for a lot of people. It's a it's a luxury position, I would call it. What what's different in year three than year one for for that, Luke? I think you know we just we've had a chance to work out the kinks and finding that sweet spot. When we first started out, we we had them working with more crews, but now we've really dialed it down, and they're working with three, four, maybe five at the very most. But but we found like three to four crews is is the sweet spot. They can go and they can spend that time on 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 a job with that crew for a little while because I mean you're not going to be able to train somebody in ten minutes on a job that that 
training person's going to have to be there for an hour, hour and a half. A lot of times they'll just spend the whole visit with that crew and then they'll bounce to another crew. So um, I think too, having uh, that rock star crew leader who has now been promoted to doing some sort of training, you know, he's, he's walking the site as well with the crew leader. Cause he's also going to, he's not just going to work with the weak people on the crew. He's going to work with everybody. He's going to work with a crew leader and say, Hey, look at this. You're missing this. You're missing this. We need to do this. This is how you do it. And you're just, it's one extra set of eyes on, on a job site. So instead of having just the sales and a production uh, coordinator and the crew leader. Now you have four people looking at that site and ensuring that we're hitting everything that we're supposed to. Hmm. That's really interesting. You, you know, on the same subject of training and growth, one of the things I experienced, um, you know, when, when I was uh, working for a contractor, we were growing really fast, uh, 50% plus per year. And we'd have people who, were say their title was director of operations and they were reporting directly to the owner, um, very much part of the leadership team, very much in charge. And then, and they were promoted to that position when we were say uh, a $10 million company. And then in two years, we're a $25 million company. And it's time to bring in a COO who's going to be between that person and the owner, just because their skills as, as an individual have not grown fast enough um, to keep up with the organization. And I don't think that's a knock against them. That's just that, that level of growth is so, so high. Right. Um, and then it can be really contentious because they're feeling like they're no longer the guy, uh, or gal, right. Through no fault of their own, but it takes more than two years to grow into that position. Have you experienced any of that call at through some of this growth? Uh, what did I say? We re, 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 restructured our org chart in <laughs> yeah. 2020, and we're still dealing with the. I'm I'm finally making some good progress on issues. Very, very. I would, I would call it those exact issues yeah. right now. So, uh, yeah, there is there is there can be many points of contention. I would say I've learned a lot of things. I would say one thing that I probably most recently learned was that. Um, I would, I wish, I really wish, I would have at that point, uh, maybe some of those individuals that we, that we hired that were going to be between uh, individual X and the owner or the manager or whatever it was, I feel like I should have involved the right people in hiring that person to get the buy-in of that person's job, especially when they're new positions. I could have saved myself so much heartache. I mean, I can't quantify the number of hours and ounces of passion and time that I could have saved myself if I would have done that, which is a huge mistake. I freaking wish someone would have told me that, <laughs> uh, but we're getting through it. Well, and now you've just saved a, a handful of our listeners from making that mistake too, right? So that it, it's that network and the, the sharing of the, the battle wounds uh, is, is always helpful. Yeah. Well, and, and that, Go ahead, Cole. I was just going to say that's a, that one's still fresh, so I'm still yeah. Make sure you got the right people involved in hiring a person. You got the buy-in from the right people to hire a person, and you'll save yourself a ton of heartache. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, to your point, Neil, I think a lot of times when you have that person in that position and while they're doing great at, you know, say 10 million or whatever, when they get up to 20 million or whatever, maybe they're not going to excel as well. Uh, I kind of had a similar, similar situation a few years ago. Um, we had a, we had a, another supervisor who I work with who, um, you know, just, he was struggling with, with what we were doing. And so they, we actually converted him over to one of these site supervisors and like a training manager. And, and I'll tell you what, I mean, well, you get that person in between them and handle some of those tasks that maybe they aren't as skilled at. Uh, I mean, the guy's, uh, I mean, he's a rock star now. I mean, he, he's, he does great. So I think it's, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult decision, but um, you're going to get people to excel even better at what they were doing before. Well, I think that's the goal. And and I think the decision is not as tough as getting the buy-in, right, from those individuals involved. Yeah. Um, I've, seen, I've seen people stay in their current role, get a raise, and still be upset because somebody else came in. And it's like, you know, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish here? Because we're trying to grow as a company. But in their head, they don't understand that they're not equipped for that next level. Um, I think it goes back to, you know, in those cases, we weren't having frequent enough communication about where the company was going, what the plan was, what's expected at the next level, and realistically what this person is capable of, right? That was my, uh, my lesson learned this past spring, right? So that was my, I had, I had to deal with, go through that piece there, and it was just a clear understanding of people's capacity. Was that clear to them from day one? where they're killing it, where they're sort of still have those opportunities to grow. Um, and I, you know, I think Cole made the statement earlier, like they're, they're not just out on a tree, just waiting for you to pick them, right. And bring them in, right. You have to grow this, this team. And so we do the best with those that are part of it and, and help them coach. And, and it's, uh, and giving them coaching outside of myself to say, like, how do you develop your own skill sets? Right. And it's, you know, I know for me, it seems as a directive or, training when it's just, I want you just, I want someone to help you coach or work through these things. I, I, I rely on coaching a great deal and I think it's incredibly valuable and, uh, and willing to listen. It's getting more team members to think that way for us is, uh, is, is important. And then offering them that sort of outlet to, to figure out how to grow. And I think I actually, I, I, I put some people between myself and our area managers. And I actually, I think now after a few months, they're starting to see the value of this role helping them where I was just gone. I mean, I, I let them do what they wanted to do or expected the, the, you know, the, the, the role to be accomplished and they were, and they are, but there was a refinement that was needed and I just could not provide that level of management. Uh, and so putting the, a team together, this, this sort of what we're calling it our senior leadership team has had tremendous value for me personally releases me, but then I gives that more of attention to our a mid manager level and uh, uh, refinement still, but very, very helpful. I, th I think too, you know, what you said, Brett, just with kind of putting individuals between you and some of those, some of the issues that arise out in the field or wherever they are, right, with and the staff or production staff. I think one thing that's really helped us too is that me as CEO, just like the kind of transition with Brent uh, moving to Rochester and then we put a general manager in place here in Sioux Falls. I think, um, I think I've, I think it's very, very important as a leader to don't 
even even to a senior leadership team, don't don't forget to convey your vision to them. What you want, where where you want the ship to go, where you're trying to what you're trying to navigate, and what you're trying to do. I mean, I I go to our team, our general manager, our CFO, one of our senior level landscape designers, our leadership team, and I tell them this is the this with with this new org uh, with this new org chart the I just very clearly tell them the outcome. I don't, I, I say, I, we've got this position for, to handle this. And that's so very clearly describing to them. And I mean, I, I boil it all the way down to, I don't want to have to be the guy that has to tell the maintenance production manager that the roses aren't pruned at townhouse square over there because I was there last night with my kids. We should have checks in place uh, before it gets to that. Does that make sense? So very clearly conveying my vision that I want. Those aren't the thing. I think we can continue to grow as an organization. I continue to offer all of our employees opportunities to grow their careers in advance. And that, that is what I consider my primary focus as a leader, but it is very, very difficult for me to do that when I have to worry about whether the roses are pruned at town square hall, whatever I just said, I made that up. Right. Uh, so making sure that they have an understanding and just full disclosure, like this is what, this is what I want to be focusing my time on because I feel like if I'm not focusing my time on the things that I need to be, we're going to uh, become stagnant as an organization. We're going to lose the steam of our growth trajectory. And then when that happens, we can't continue to provide oppor advancement opportunities to everyone that is um, everyone that wants to continue to grow. Right. It's like, if I'm the, if I'm trying to kind of um, steer the ship in the right direction, you, you only really need someone to steer the ship in the right direction if the ship is moving, right? If we're stuck in place, it's not really a good use for me, right? I don't need to be making the decisions on what we're doing and where we're growing and what service lines we're adding and what market we're going to next. Because how would we ever do that? We can't do that if we're, if, if the guy, you know, guiding the ship is, is again, worried about the roses. Does that make sense? I think that you're exactly right. It takes that explanation because it, it, of course, that makes perfect sense to anybody who's been through it or been around it, right? Um, but I think a lot of times, um, like, we're like, all right, so Cole, you've had this business 20 years. For 16 years, you've been telling us about the roses at Town Hall. In fact, I thought you liked telling us about the roses at Town Hall, right? Yeah, exactly. um, but you come back from from a landscapes conference where a speaker told you, no, you're doing the wrong thing. You're all fired up, right? And and it's great you're on the right track, but you got to really sell that vision, like you say, which I think is is uh, where it's coming back to. So, Cole, my, my question for you is, what's your recommendation for young professionals or maybe in a growing company where they're sort of on the receiving end of some of that, um, how, how should they react or, or try and navigate that to, to really be on board with that vision? Um, okay, so repeat the question one more time. Sorry, I missed a little bit. So for, for a young professional in the industry who's reporting to you, right, what, what should they know? What's going to help them be successful as you're making these changes and you're trying to steer that ship? I mean, I, I guess that's a good kind of hard question to answer. I think it's probably just, you know, you know, first off, I would say this, I think you have to have, I think you've got to have the right, it's got to be the right people, right? I mean, there's, there's some changes that you make that just uh, uh, don't suit certain people. You said from 10 million to 20, 25 million, whatever it is. 
you might have the right person in the right place at 10 million, right? But, and then that might be their sweet spot. But when you go to 20 or 25 million, that, that can happen, right? It might, and it might just be out of their comfort zone and you might have people on the team that they're just not, <clears throat> excuse me, they're not in on that, right? That's not what they want to do. They don't want to be, it's too fast paced and you have to uh, make those judgment calls as well too. I think uh, I, we, we look for people that want to grow. I, it goes back to people, right? I mean, you got to have the right people in the right places. Um, so we look for people that are, that embrace that and want to do better and thrive off of the fast, the fast paced environment. Now, now we're not, I would say that's, we're not a 10 million to 25 million company. That's not, that's not in two years. That's not in our, in our plans. Um, but we do have, we do have growth targets um, and you have to have team members that are bought into the idea of that and how the first, the first step in getting them bought into that is telling them that that's the plan and telling them specific things that have to happen to achieve that plan. And some of those things are the things that I just mentioned, right? Getting, getting people out of the weeds that they don't need to be in. And that, and actually for, for a lot of the, you know, with a, with a, adding of new positions and things like that and change in general, many, it's not just, it's not just the senior leadership team or the ownership that, that is going to experience change or, or, or I, I, I mean, I like to tell our team, like your life's going to get better when this happens, right? Your life is going to get better. You're not going to have to deal with these things. We're putting someone in place that's going to handle this for you. So conveying that to them and helping them understand how it's going to make team better you're not going to have to go place plants anymore whatever I, i'm making up examples now but there there are things that these people that you're maybe reluctant to accept these new positions that are actually put in place to make your life easier and help you focus more on the things that you want to be focusing on to get you out of the weed patches that you don't want to be in anyway and and uh, and for us it's it's i guess it's just relentless follow-up and, and addressing of those matters, I guess. And it seems like, although in an ideal world, you would tell something, somebody something once and then it would just go away and you'd never have to address it again. I think as leaders and organizations, we all know that might not necessarily be the case all the time. Yeah, well, stuff changes fast, right? And, and if you say something once, then how long is that valid for? Um, right. COVID hits and everything's different, right? Um, you have a fourth kid and it's a change of plan. I don't know, right? Stuff changes. So I think um, it's, it's all about that frequency and, and shared understanding. And for young professionals, I think that they need to initiate those conversations if they're not happening um, to say, what, what can I expect for the company, you know, one, two, five years down the road? And what can I expect for my role one, two, five years down the road? Um, because I think what you talked about, everybody's life will get better. I think that's accurate. I think a lot of people are usually within a company on the same, in the same place when it comes from, well, what are we, why are we here? What do we, what do we exist for? What do we want to get out of it? And normally in the changes, it's like disagreements about how to get there, right? Not what we're trying to accomplish. I would agree with that. Disagreements on how we're going to get there, right? So this guy should be doing this or that, or I envisioned this position when it was added that it was going to be accomplishing this for me, and it's maybe not, maybe not exactly what they envisioned. And so, um, and, and sometimes that happens with people in the organization that you maybe wouldn't think it was going to happen with, you know. And so I, I always go back to this. It's funny, actually, an NLP, an ALP thing. This is a 
this is a long time ago. This is probably closer to when Mark, I don't know if you guys probably know Mark Bradley, he's the guy that started LMN, but I he used to speak at some of those, I mean, maybe, maybe he still does do some speaking engagements at those things, but he was talking about uh, um, changes and like in, in implementing processes into your business. And one of the, and, and he was talking about holding people accountable for, you know, um, for abiding by the process, following the processes, doing all the things that they had to do, even if it was additional work that, that you knew as a leader was going to save them time down the road, it was still just a change for them. And so one, one of the gentlemen in the crowd just said, well, what happens if the best guy in the organization won't follow the new process? And Mark Bradley's like almost instant response, like he'd been asked it a hundred times, was I fired the best guy in my company five times now, you know? Because sometimes, look, the best guy just he at ten million he's the best guy, but he's not going to be at twenty five million because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to um, adapt to the change, right? And that happens. So, so just because he's the best guy in the company now doesn't mean he's going to be the best uh, guy in the company down the road. So, I, th I think it's I think it's when you're implementing those things, it's you can't inconsistently apply those processes or those rules because everyone in the organization sees that and if you don't think anyone in the organization sees those things especially over time i think you're a fool we've demonstrated that so many times at weller brothers that you as a leader maybe know something's going on i'm guilty of it you know like i said i feel like i'm somewhat self-aware the you're observing something and you think yeah it's okay and you kind of let it slide maybe you don't want to address it now but you can address it and then it comes to a point where where someone on a production team somewhere is saying something to HR about whatever it is. And then it's at that point, it's, it's become the source of embarrassment for you as a leader. So you knew this was going on. You, uh, your action was inaction. And now you got people in the organization observing that going, wait, I thought this was the, we rolled this out and everyone's doing it except for this guy. So why, why is this inconsistently applied? You know, I mean, and that's not good. And that's happened to me probably and I care to admit, although way less lately than, uh, had, you know, earlier in my career. Well, we could, probably, right. we could probably talk about that for an hour yeah. on its own. We all are, are running that path and taking these moments to reflect on it is always good therapy to just, uh, hopefully the rest of this day, we at least will not make any foolish decisions, right? For at least the rest of this day. Right. <laughs> no guarantees about tomorrow. But Fingers today, crossed. We're gonna be we're gonna be really smart with how we operate. <laughs> we tell we tell all of our team and managers we tell them win the day, one day at a time. <laughs> I like that. Well, speaking of reflection, we we tend to wrap up our our podcast here just kind of reflecting and sharing on our week call and and sharing a, a rose something that's going well and and maybe a thorn something that that you're trying to overcome if you've got one. So um, I'll say we do that and. Get everybody back out to wherever they're facing today. Uh, yeah, rose and thorn. All right. Well, let's see what's going well. Hey, you know what? Rochester, Minnesota branch is going well. They're good. they're exceeding budget in almost every category. They're doing a great job. I was just there yesterday for a couple of days with our CFO and visited some sites and talked to the team. And uh, my brother is doing uh, just a hell of a good job building a team and getting the right people around him. And they're they're getting jobs done more efficiently than estimate. And they're um, I think they're going to exceed top line. They're definitely going to exceed bottom line, uh, which is, uh, you know, on year two, I, I actually, Frank, I think there might be a way we can break even there on year two. So that would be a pretty big accomplishment uh, for us. So that's what's going well. And then, 
What's the thorn? Uh, yeah, you know, I thought I'd be playing more golf this summer, I guess. I'm trying to, you know. <laughs> I think that's, that's a COVID-related kind of sport. That's, that one, right? that's, you can, again, you can do anything in so South Dakota. It's the wild west. You can do anything. You can yeah, do that's cool. <laughs> so, no, I think, I mean, we're any thorns that we have, we're trying to improve all the time, right? We have a pretty, we have a culture of open communication and talking directly face-to-face and delivering difficult news face-to-face. So, I mean, I don't know. I think there are always things that aren't going as well as you want, but we, we do our best to focus our energy as a leadership management team to always be addressing those issues. So I'm, I'm proud of our team. I, I think we got a good thing going here. I'll, I'll uh, my rose uh, transitioned a beautiful design build project over the last week or two into our maintenance team and uh, an exciting uh, to see, see that project come over. I, I love seeing that happen. We need to do it better and more often in that transition. Uh, Thorn, uh, you know, I, I think just even this conversation just sparked the, uh, are we making the right decisions in the right time frame? And, you know, I think we're missing some opportunities that could either help um, some of my team members um, and the real good ones. And maybe even those that are struggling, put them in a better seat would be good for all of us. And so um, uh, I'm recognizing that we're missing, we're missing the timing on that one a little bit. Got to fix that. Yeah. For me, I think, um, you know, we have, climbed over the mountain, so to speak, where we you know, got past the 4th of July and the big, big push to get to, to the start of the summer, so to speak. And, and with that comes, I think at the end, you know, this time of year, you get a lot of people who are starting to get a little burned out, maybe, um, you know, letting their foot off the gas pedal, so to speak. And, you know, just trying to, to coach, coach team members through that and, and, and keep them going uh, to finish out, you know, the rest of the summer, finish out the season strong. So, that's uh, kind of what I've been dealing with the last uh, week or so. Well, my rose is uh, I got to um, participate in American Hort's uh, Cultivate virtual conference this past week. Um, they had me speaking on uh, managing a digital workforce, which was really interesting and uh, great conversation, great attendance. Um, but after three days of a virtual conference, I was so sick of Zoom so done <laughs> and uh i took a whole day off of anything with a screen and it was awesome so i'm feeling much better now well thanks again cole for being part of our growing in the green industry podcast and also a big thank you to our listeners um and by the way if you know somebody who should listen to these podcasts please share it with them the young professional networks appreciates your support As always, let us know what you want to hear by leaving a review or sending an email to youngprofessional at elandscapeprofessionals.org. And don't forget to tune in next Thursday for another great episode. Take care, everyone. Take care. Have a great week, guys. Thanks, guys.